tonight is a super fun word. I'm very, very, very excited. Um, I have some crazy props. I was walking in and I got some very weird looks and you'll see them up here shortly, but I promise they all have a point, but it'll make it more fun. Um, I do serve in children's ministry. It's one of my favorite places to be and... uh, it, props are just where it's at. Do you make slime? You just let them play in shaving cream. And I thought, you know, maybe if we all played with shaving cream in main service and like drew our stories out, we would learn more. So maybe next time I preach, we'll all just play with some shaving cream and get all sticky because the kids love it. Um, but I do have some props coming up. Those will be towards the end, but we'll go ahead and get started. So this is Pentecost week. And I want to talk a minute about what Pentecost is. And then we're going to go into what happened afterwards. Because sometimes we think about, okay, well, there's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. And what what was that? Well, that was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out after Jesus had died. He told his disciples, there's 120 of them, he said, go wait. Go wait, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. Go wait in the upper room. And so that's the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we're like, cool. And we leave it there. But we understand, we've, we've heard teachings on the Holy Spirit, and we understand the, the power that comes from that and the purpose that God gave us the Holy Spirit was that Jesus left, Jesus died, Jesus ascended back to heaven, and we needed a helper. But not only that, we needed something more. We needed something on the inside of us to be our comforter, something to be our guide, something to empower us to do and to use the things that God's given us to use. Okay, are we tracking? And so God gave us something. God's given us all that we need for life and godliness. God's given us everything that we need to be who he's called us to be. He already gave it to us ahead of time. He's not surprised by anything. So we have more than enough for what we need to be who we're called to be. But he also sent the Holy Spirit for the fact that we can't do it in our own strength. And one foundation I want to lay before we get into the, to the good stuff, to get into the nitty gritty, um, <laughs> before we get into that, what I want to, the foundation I want to lay is spiritually God sees things from an eternal perspective. And when we aren't tied into where he is, when we're not tied in spiritually, when we're trying to look at life, our circumstances, people, church, gifts, talents, abilities, finances, marriage, kids, whatever we're looking at, if we're looking at that from our physical perspective, then we'll never see an eternal purpose. We'll only see how it affects us right now. We'll only rely on our feelings. We'll only rely on how this makes me feel, how I should respond, what I think I should do, how this is going to make me feel better tomorrow. We'll never see it from a spiritual perspective as long as we're seeing it from our physical eyes. When we're not looking at it through, God, I I want to surrender. I want to give this part to you, and I want to see from your perspective. I want to see this in an eternal perspective. But it comes through surrender. It comes through surrendering our heart. And without that, outside of that, anything we look at, whether it be a decision we're making, a job decision, a school decision, any decision that we may be making, we will only see it from a temporal perspective. And I really need to lay that foundation before we get into anything else because otherwise, church becomes the same thing. And we just come to church because it makes me feel good today. Or maybe church is just the right thing to do. Maybe I've been raised that you go to church on Sunday and catch a midweek if you can, or, or God should be a priority, and, but we don't really know why we come. I asked myself today, why do I go to church? Why am I a part of the church? Have you guys asked yourself that? So write that in your notes and think about it for a minute. Why do you come to church? Why are you a part of a church? Why, why do we even have church? <laughs> like, seriously, why do we do what we do? And so I asked myself that question. Now, again, back to that foundation, if we only rely on what we can see with our temporal eyes, then it's, well, I mean, it makes me feel good. 
Worship sometimes gives me, what's my dad call them, like chicken pimples, <laughs> goosebumps. Worship gives me those sometimes. They make me feel good about myself. Sometimes the word is really good and it just makes me feel great about my day, but then that's about the extent of it. That's all that church means. And sometimes that's all Christianity means. Why are we even a Christian? Why do we even have a relationship with God? Why do we pursue God? Because it makes us feel good? Or because we've been truly experienced God? The other foundation I want to lay is there's a big difference between experiencing God and experiencing his truth and experiencing his goodness and experiencing his faithfulness and arguing it. We can so often put ourselves in a position where we are, maybe we're raised in church or maybe we're like podcasting all the time and we're listening to worship music and we have all the right answers for everything. We can argue that God is faithful. We can argue that his word is true. We can argue that his promises come true. We can argue that he has a plan for our life. But have we actually experienced it? Can we say from experience, this is what's happening? Well, then what happens is then the people around us, we begin to argue together that, yeah, we know that God is uh, faithful. We know that his word is true. We know that his promise has come to pass. We know these things. Well, then we get married and that just becomes a thing in your marriage. Well, we know God is true. We know God is faithful. We know God provides. We know, and we're still arguing the point, but we've never crossed the line to actually experiencing it. So then we have kids and we raise our kids and they know all the right answers. They can tell you, those kids back there, I guarantee you, can tell you everything there is to know about the Bible. They will yell at you if you mix up Elijah and Elisha. Very, 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 just make sure you get it right. Because if you get it wrong, it's, they just won't listen to you the rest of the night. Um, but we teach our kids, this is right. Jesus heals. But have they been set up to experience it? Because there's a difference in experiencing what God has to say, experiencing the word of God and arguing the word of God. There's a difference in saying, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know forgiveness is a good thing. I know I'm not supposed to be bitter. I know God forgave me, so I forgive them. But have we ever crossed that line to go, no, I truly forgive them. I've experienced the forgiveness of God for myself. I've experienced his grace, and now that empowers me to forgive somebody else. Do you see how that works? So that's the foundation I want to lay. So Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit comes. And in Acts 2, 1 through 4. You guys are quick. I even forgot that was my first scripture. (laughs) And it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, And one set upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, the day of Pentecost, that's what happened. But I, today, as I was studying, I was interested in what happened afterwards. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? What difference did it make in the New Testament? Jesus already died. Wasn't that the purpose of the Bible? Some of us think that. The purpose of the whole Bible was Jesus dying. The end. That's a really sad story. But... We, we, when we read the Bible, it's like the, the climax, like right in the middle of the story. But so much of the story happens after that. We just forget it happens. So I want to know, what was the big deal about the Holy Spirit? What was the big deal about Pentecost? Why? What does that have to do with us today? So I start studying this out, and the title of my message tonight is The Rise of the Church. Because this not only was Pentecost, this not only was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, but this is when the church was birthed. 
This is when the church was birthed. But then I thought, okay, if that's where it originated, what did it look like? What did it feel like? How, what was the church back then? What did God create the church to look like? Who did God create the church to be? What was it supposed to be? Because I feel like today in America and across the world, really, church is so just another thing we do. We go to baseball games on Saturdays, basketball games on Saturday nights, and we go to church on Sunday. That's just what we do, living the American dream. It's true. There's no power. There's no anything else. I read a book the other day called Monday Morning Atheist, and it says, well, we believe in God on Sundays and everything he does, and Monday morning we forget it all. We're falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. God's not showing up. He's nowhere. I can't heal anybody. I don't believe in his word. It's not true. And then we go back to church Sunday, and we're like, God's alive, and he's dead on Monday morning. I don't know how many dies he's been crucified in like our lives. Just every Sunday night he dies again, raises again the next Saturday. He's back alive in our lives. Okay, Monday morning atheist. But it's just another thing we do. So I want to look at tonight what the church was created to be. And this was so, one, convicting to me because I went, holy cow, God, I truly repent for ever seeing your church different, being a part of a church, being the church different than what you've created it to be. But then two, I found it so empowering to go, look what we can do. Like, this is incredible. All right, so why, why, why did he send this? So what happened after Pentecost? Same chapter, just flip over a couple pages, and we're going to look at Acts 2.40 through 47. Okay, 120 people get filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, 120. That's all. Not like a million, so we only got a couple people to save in the world. But 120 people. That's it. That's who gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter goes and preaches one day. 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. 3,000 people. So I got to back up for a minute and go, okay, what did Peter preach? Peter didn't have this Bible to be like, well, 10 years from now in Galatians, churches will preach someday about the fruit of the Spirit. Peter didn't have that. So what did Peter preach? I thought, what do, what do we preach? What is, what is the thing that we live out as the church? What were they living out? They got filled with the Holy Spirit. What had happened right before then? Okay, Jesus died. Jesus restored relationship. When Adam and Eve sat in the garden, we had no relationship with Jesus. We could not come to him anymore. We were separated because of sin. There was a gap between us and him. Did he still love us? Yes, but he would have to compromise his character to be with us because he couldn't be associated with sin. So now sin has separated us from Jesus. Okay? Jesus dies. He took on the sin of the world. Not just up till that point, but any sin that we could ever commit from here to eternity has already been taken on the cross. Jesus took it all. Okay, that's a lot of sin. We like feel bad forgiving the guy that cut us off. And Jesus took on all the sin of the world. And we're like, I don't want to take his sin. He cut me off. But he took on everything. From now to eternity, Jesus took it on. All accomplished on the cross. Why? Because he loved us. Because he wanted a relationship with us. That's the heart of our God. He just wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want just a bunch of people like little minions. He doesn't want anybody just to use people. He just, all he wants is relationship with us. That's why he created us to begin with. And so he dies on the cross. He takes on the sin. He takes on everything. 
But not only that, then he defeats death itself. He defeats everything on our behalf. And then the veil is torn that separates us from God. So now we can freely go to God. We can freely have a relationship with him. We can pray to him right now. We can come to church and worship him. We can encounter and experience the presence of God. See, before this, people couldn't freely come and encounter the presence of God because sin separated them. They can make sacrifices once a year. They can make sac- blood sacrifices and animal sacrifices so that they could just, their sin would be removed. But it wasn't ever fully taken because it, that couldn't be possible without a pure and spotless sacrifice. And that was the purpose of Jesus dying. And so Peter, knowing this, going, holy cow, he took on all this for us so that we can have relationship with him. Well, then I, I believe what happened was that these disciples, these people, they got an eternal perspective of what God had in store for them. They got an eternal perspective that the things that are here, the temporal things, they don't matter. The eternal things do. People matter. And then I think that their worlds were probably rocked to go, that could have been me on the cross. It should have been me on the cross. I should be held accountable for what I do. And so for Peter being forgiven, even denying Jesus up till the cross, for him being forgiven, a personal experience with Jesus, Jesus coming, having grace with him even after the fact, and then coming back to him, raising from the dead, telling him, all right, I'm sending a helper. I'm sending you somebody. Okay, that's something to talk about. That I have a God that loves me regardless of where I've been, regardless of what I've done. I have a God that believes the best in me. And I have a God that has a plan for my life that is bigger than I could ever imagine on my own. But again, we have to see this through a spiritual perspective. And that's where the disciples caught on. Because if we see it temporal, we're like, it's not worth it. God wants me to give up what? That's too hard. I I won't fit in. I won't... that. I can't give that up. That's just part of who I am. Because if we look at it temporal, that's just, that's how it makes us feel. But we, when we see it eternally, we go, what God's doing in my life, none of this even matters. And it's like we see a bigger picture. And so Peter, seeing this, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. All right, and in verse 40, it says, and with many other words, He testified in exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. So they sat under teaching and fellowship, fellowship with one another. In the breaking of bread, they did eat in the Bible. It's spiritual to eat. Everybody eat a good meal tonight. And in prayer. Then fear came up on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Okay, now there's signs and wonders. People getting saved like things are going crazy, right? Now all who believed were together and had done things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Okay, and then this part, continuing daily. Okay, this is the important part. It wasn't like Pentecost came, we went to... Peter's gathering, we had dinner that night, and we moved on with our lives. It says that they continued in this daily, continued in fellowship, continued in teaching, continued in prayer, continually hanging out with each other, and eating. They continually ate. With one accord, dieting is not scriptural. It is not, there is that they continually ate. And this was after the Holy Spirit came, so don't feel convicted about eating ever again. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. See? 
be glad and eat, and simplicity of heart. I know you guys came to hear this word tonight, okay? Praising God and having favor with all people. Okay, this, this part. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily those who were being saved. Okay, we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but I want to talk about we are the body of Christ. Okay, this is a building. It will burn. Okay, we are people. We are the body of Christ. We house the presence of God. Okay, this is a building. This is a temporal thing. We are eternal beings. Okay, we house the presence of God. We are the church. We are the temple. We house this, where it says in here, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all saved, okay? Because they continued daily in getting teaching, because they continued daily fellowshipping with one another, because they continued daily eating, because they continued daily in prayer, that daily, daily, God added those that were saved to the church. Daily. What if one person a day got saved in this valley? Okay, there's a lot more of us in here than one, but let's just go with the number one. One person. And by the end of tonight, I want us to grab hold of this, but how many of you are in full-time ministry right now? A few. Okay, I'll ask that question at the end. Hope that, well, pay attention to that question, okay? Pay attention to that question, okay? So there's a few of us that are in full-time ministry right now. But the church, okay, we are the church. And because the church was doing what the church was created to do, daily, people were getting saved. Daily, people were getting ministered to. Okay, there's 3,000 of them. I'm pretty sure they were not all pastors. 3,000 of them were not all pastors. Okay, normal people going about their normal daily routines. Okay, meaning people in the doctor's offices, if they had them, we know that they had restaurants because they ate all the time. So people in the restaurants were getting saved daily. So whenever you go to eat, get somebody saved. And then people in there, I mean, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were doctors. These people had jobs. They had, Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. Okay, they had jobs. But because they took responsibility for being the church. What God has given me, I can walk this out. What God has given me, and because I've experienced God, I have to give it to somebody else. Because they chose to walk in the power that was given. This is why they were given this power on Pentecost. This is why the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. Because now we're empowered to do what we weren't empowered to do before. Now I can see eternally when I wasn't empowered to see eternally before. Now what I do matters. Now how I talk matters. Now the people in my life that didn't matter before, that I you know, assassinated seven times in my head, now they matter. And now I got to get them saved over lunch. Okay? They now matter. We see things from a different perspective. Because we grab hold of the power that God put on the inside of us and know that now we do have the ability to walk out what he's called us to walk out. Now we see the people around us. Now we see our, our body. We're the body of Christ. Look at the person next to you and say, I can't function without you. Those of you that are sitting next to your spouse, this is great marriage counseling. You should say it again. I can't function without you, okay? Okay? Can't function without you. We are the body of Christ. It doesn't work without each other. It doesn't work to full capacity. If I am missing an organ, a limb, a finger, a, my body does not function to the full capacity that it needs to. And that's why we need each other. But we can add to the church daily. Because it's not about growing 
numbers. It's not about feeling good. It's not about getting our Christian duty out of the way. What we're doing is seeing an eternal perspective that goes, those people are going to hell. I serve a God that died for them, and he put them in my reach. He put them where I can speak into their lives. Here's my next challenge question. Sometimes maybe the reason that we come to church is the same thing that God's already given us to minister to somebody else. That thing that we come wanting to pull from, I need this from church, I need this from Jesus, I need this from God, is the same thing that God's already put in our life to give to somebody else. Okay, I want to paint a picture. I want to do an example really quick of how the church was made to function. Okay? Can I get you two up here? Clap for them. (laughs) Okay. my handy dandy spoons okay all right now you guys both have a bowl of chili okay and I need it eaten you have to hold where the tape is on the end the very end of your thing ready go eat your chili Okay, you're good. (laughs) Okay, this is how the church was made to function. You guys are good. Thank you. Everybody clap for them. Okay. So many times the thing that God has given us, their bowl of chili, their personal bowl of chili, the gifts and talents and abilities that God's given us, the money that he's given us, the, the, um, Maybe the resources that he's given us. Maybe the word that he's given us. So many times we see that and we try to feed ourselves. But what we do is we make a mess and we waste what God has given us. Okay? But what it is, is it's for to feed somebody else. That's how the church was meant to function. We serve each other. We encourage each other. We equip each other. We empower each other. We pray for each other. Okay? We don't keep what God has given us for ourselves. And so the the statement I made before all of this was maybe that thing that we're like, I need this, I need this, God gave this to me, I need it, and we can't get it, and we come to church and we're like, God, I need this, and I get it, and God goes, I gave it to you so you could feed somebody else. I gave it to you so you could feed somebody else. And that's how the body of Christ is meant to function. It's not to take what we have and use it for ourselves. Because then we get, what we do? We get critical about what other people have. We get critical about what everybody else is doing. We get critical about, well, church is doing this, church is doing that, the church is doing this. God's not showing up. We get critical about what God's doing. We get critical about what's going on because we can't seem to feed ourselves what was meant for somebody else. Because that's a part of our Christian walk. That is what it means to be the church. Okay? Jesus laid his life down to buy the church. We lay our lives down to build the church. Okay? He laid his life down to buy the church. He took death. He defeated it. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And he said, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. We can't do that without what God's given us. We can't do that without seeing an eternal perspective. Because otherwise, it's how we feel and what you're doing to me. I don't want to speak into that person's life because of what they did to me. I, I don't want to speak in that person's life because I'm hurting right now. I don't want to 
But the very thing, if we would feed somebody else, God could keep filling us up. But the thing about that is, did you notice that when Jay fed Oren, Oren turned around and fed Jay? So maybe the thing we need is because we're trying to be selfish with what God's given us. And the second that we would give to somebody else, God would feed us right back. The thing that we need. But it comes from each other. It doesn't come from us feeding ourselves. It doesn't come from us isolating ourselves. It doesn't come, you know, coaching basketball. One of the hardest things to deal with was individual camps. My lands. Like you have team camps all summer. And then you have all these girls sign up for individual camps. I'm, you are a wonderful individual basketball player. But this is a team sport. So we need you to be a part of the team. Okay? This is what's so hard about individual camp. They are amazing basketball players. They have no idea what's going on in the unity of the team. No idea. And it is so hard to coach. Okay? So we can not be a part of the church, not be a part of the body. And I'm feeding myself. I listen to podcasts every day. I like one click away from Jesus all morning. And I listen to my worship music. I have church every day by myself. And I'm a great individual Christian that's feeding myself, that knows everything I need to know but can never experience it because you have to have somebody else to experience the Bible. That's how it was made. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, we're only actually doing half of what we are created to do instead of sowing into the people around us. We were made to serve each other. We were made to be a part of a body, not the body by ourselves. So we are made to, and so, um, husbands, have you ever told your wives, you know, you have a really great head, but your body is questionable. (laughs) Try it. No, don't. Just kidding. We do offer marriage counseling. We'll do a marriage class next Wednesday. Okay? Don't ever tell them that. That's an awful thing to say. Okay? But, okay, it says that Jesus is the head and we're the body. So when we choose not to be a part of the church, when we choose to disconnect from the body for whatever reason, and we choose not to be connected, and we choose not to be a part of the very thing that God created for us to thrive, did you know that in Psalms, we're going to go to that scripture because I'm probably running out of time. Psalms 92.13. While you're flipping over there, I'm going to get my other prop. This is my church tree. I dug it up from my yard today. I really did. Actually, I started digging it up and it just kind of broke. But that's okay. Serves a great purpose. This is my church tree. I don't have to go to the bathroom. I just need to hold my tree up, okay? just want to clarify what is happening right now. Psalm 92, 13. Actually, we're going to start in 12. I got that from my dad. I come by it, honestly. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh in flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is not a flourishing tree. Right? Anybody think this is flourishing? This is actually the greatest dead plant I've ever grown in my whole life. Usually they die much smaller than this. This one has done great. Okay? 
But this is what my church tree means. It says those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Here's what we do with church, okay? American church. We um, uproot our lives and we bring them to church on Sunday so they can get watered and fed. And our tree sits here and it gets watered and fed in some light because God is light. And then we take it back home and try to replant it in our lives and wonder why we're not getting fruit. We wonder why it's dead. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Planted in the house of the Lord. Not uproot to come to church and go back home and plant this wherever it is. And then fill in the blank with whatever it might be. Is our marriage planted in the house of the Lord or does it look like this? Are our kids planted in the house of the Lord or does it look like this? Are our finances planted? planted in the house of the Lord, or do they look like this? Fill in the blank with whatever it might be. Is it planted in the house of the Lord, or is it uprooted and brought to church? Because that's all the priority we can give God. Because I go to church every Sunday, and I bring my my life, my marriage, my kids, I bring them with me. But are they planted there? When something is planted in the house of the Lord, when something is planted anywhere, it's getting nutrients. It's getting life. It's getting everything that it needs to grow, to produce fruit. But when it's not planted, it can't produce fruit. It can't grow for very long anyway. That one grew for a while. But it can't continue to grow. It's cut off when it's not planted in the house of the Lord. Okay, because we get life backwards. And um, Matthew 6.33, if we could put that one up in the Amplified, please, that would be awesome. Sorry, I did not write that on my little sticky note. I'll read it in the regular version, and then I'll flip back over to the amplified once we get it up. Oh, there it is. Just kidding. But seek, aim at, strive after. First, of all his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given, will be given you besides. Okay. But I love that aim at and strive after. And then Matthew 6, 33, just in the New King James, it says, Um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Okay, this was interesting to me today. Huge revelation. So many of us, and I think it's just the, the thing we do, is that we try to prioritize our life. You know, of course God's first in my life. And then family and then church and jobs and, and whatever your list might be. But it says to seek ye first the kingdom of God. So here's my question. What does it say to seek second, or third, or fourth, or fifth? It doesn't, right? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. So I wonder if our seeking gets messed up because we say, seek ye first. Yep, God's first in my life, but then I have all of these other things, which means that I can't wholeheartedly be in any of those things because I'm so split up. Because I have God first, and then I have family, and then I have church, and then I have my job, and then I have Little League baseball and dog walking. And so I have all of these things that I have to do. 
So part of me, this is, okay, I got my God time out of the way. Now I got my, okay, my family time's good. Now I got my church checked off, okay. And we live our lives that way. And so we're never actually planted seeking God first. Because the kingdom of God, but seek first the kingdom. I looked up that word kingdom and what that actually is talking to, and it's talking about the authority of God. It's talking about seek first God's authority in our life. Seek first what God has to say about our lives. Put him as Lord. Come under his reign. Put him first and foremost in our lives that we sit under God and go, okay, it's your authority, not mine. It's your will, not mine. It is whatever you want to do with my life. All of this is yours anyway. My marriage is yours. My life is yours. My gifts, my talents, my abilities are yours. My money is yours. My kids are yours. All of these things that I have in my life, they're yours. How do you want them used? Because here's the thing about a kingdom is that if there's a king in that kingdom, there's a way that it works and a way that it doesn't. There's standards set and and standards not set. And when we come under the authority of God, then we say, I choose to live my life your way and not my way. The kingdom goes with you everywhere. So when you seek ye first the kingdom of God, then it's no longer this thing about, well, I, I, I seeked God and now I'm going to do this and now I'm going to, no. The kingdom goes with me everywhere because it's not my marriage to seek. It's not my kids to seek. It's not my church to seek. All of those things are God's. And I choose to do it his way and I choose to surrender to him. And so it's no longer my feelings that matter. It's not, no longer how I want to respond. It's no longer the decision that I want to make. It's no longer that I don't know if I really want to, to do this or not, when we submit and seek first the kingdom of God, then it's no longer a choice that we make to go, eh, maybe God, maybe not. Maybe first, maybe second. I didn't get to it today, but when we seek first the kingdom of God, what we're saying is, God, I surrender everything to you, every part of my life to you. I seek you first. And then it says, and his righteousness. So how we live life does matter outside of the church. Because we are the church, and that's the revelation I want us to get tonight, is that the empowerment, the church that we're supposed to be, serving each other, feeding each other, the church that was established in Acts, that every single day somebody was being saved because they could not hold back the revelation of who Jesus was and what he had done, and we have to minister to the people around us. And so being that church, that's what I believe the disciples grabbed a hold of is, no, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, because it does not matter if we're at work. It does not matter if we're at home. It does not matter. Everything that I do, everything that I put my hands to are God's anyway. And I'm going to do it God's way. And then we see things eternally because then, yeah, you know, I'd rather just say my own words right now. But I seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so I'm going to do things God's way. And then we get less concerned about everybody else and we get more concerned about what God wants us to do for everybody else. We get more concerned with what God wants us to be. We get more concerned about, you know, God, how can I be the church in my job? And if we're going to be the church, the thing about the church of Acts, everybody was experiencing God. They weren't arguing him. They weren't trying to prove that he was true or prove that they were right or tell everybody what they were doing wrong. They shared the love of God with the people around them. Because that's the only thing that had happened at that point. Jesus has died. Out of the love of God is what they shared with the people around them. And that's what being the church is all about. That we would, no matter where we are, that the kingdom of God goes with us. I wrote down a couple of things I wanted to say really quick. Um, 
What God gave us isn't for us, it's for those around us. We have the authority, when we, put, when we seek God first, we have the authority to implement what he already activated on the cross. When we seek God first, we have the authority to implement in our lives what he already activated on the cross. So what he took care of on the cross, we now have that authority. And then the church gave an experience. They didn't argue that God was real. I want to go to one more scripture really quick. Matthew 16, 18. Just kidding. We're going to go to two more. And then I promise that's it. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, Peter had just got a revelation of who Jesus was. He got a revelation of who Jesus was and sometimes maybe some of us just need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is in our life. Maybe we just need to experience Jesus. We just need one Jesus encounter. And on that, he's saying, on that revelation, Peter, the song we sang, the, the last praise and worship song we sang, it says that it, my, my whole life, I want to know you. I just want to know you. That if we made it our goal every single day that I want to know Jesus in a new way today. I want to know Jesus in a new way today. I want to know Jesus in a new, new day today. And what, Peter's saying, or what Jesus is saying here is, on that revelation, Peter, on that revelation that you got, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And that word rock is actually a fragment, which is just a piece. Because all of us are a piece. And that's where the church is built. That we build what Jesus already bought. And then the other scripture I want to read is, um, let me just make sure this is the one I want to go to really quick before I tell you. That's not the one. Let's go to John 2.14. And it says, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers during business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That line right there, in looking at what we've learned about the church tonight, taking ownership to say, I am the body of Christ. I am the church. I take the church with me wherever I go. Because that's what, that's what Jesus created me to do, that we are his body, that we are the church. We take it. We run with it. But what it says right here is he said, the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And I ask myself this question, is that true of me? Zeal for your house has eaten me up. The word zeal is passion. 
His passion for the house of God, his passion for the church of God, has passion for the church and the purpose of the church, eaten me up to the place that I can't stand not to be a part of what God's doing. I can't stand not to take what I'm getting here on a Sunday or a Wednesday and apply it the next day. I can't stand to not serve the people around me. I can't stand to miss out on what God has for me. So I choose to give instead of always try to use what God gave me for myself. I want to give it to those around me. And so it says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And that's my prayer for us tonight. That's my prayer in getting the revelation of this message is that zeal for the house of God has eaten me up because we now see the purpose of why Pentecost even happened. And that's that the birthing of the church came, but it only came after the Holy Spirit was, came, was sent to us. That's our helper. That's our comforter. That's our guide. So the Holy Spirit was sent and as soon as it came upon the disciples, it said that they went and that Peter, 3,000 people got saved. People are getting saved. Signs and wonders are following. People are getting ministered to. And daily they're being added to the church. Daily the kingdom of God is getting one more person. Not because God's about numbers, but he knows that only he has the answer for what they're going through. That he knows only he has the answer for what's going on. Only he has the solution. Only he has the plan. And only he can forgive them. And once we get that revelation of how much God loves us, when we get the revelation of what Jesus really did for us, then it's no problem to go, no, I give my life to what you want. I give everything I am for what you want because I can always open my eyes, God, to an eternal perspective so I can see what you want me to see for my life. So I can see what you would have me to do. So I can see what you're going to do with, see, your marriage is not your marriage just to live every day. Your marriage, what God wants to do through your marriage, what God wants to do through your school, what God wants to do through your gifts, your talents, your ability, what God wants to do through your kids. Imagine if we would surrender those areas to God and go, God, I, we want to experience you and see what you do through them and see what you do through me. Where it's not just about what I can do for myself and make myself feel good that I'm living for Jesus, but what God can do for us is greater than what we could ever imagine doing on our own. And that's what the church was created to be. Not just to come and have a good feeling, but we come together, it says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so we come together. God created the church to come together. They came together consistently in Acts, but we come together for the purpose of serving each other. We come together. Can you imagine what their parties were like or what their church services were like? When they came together and were like, did you know what God did this week? Did you know what he just did? Wait, I, just, I just simply gave a testimony. You should have seen what he did in these people's lives. You should have seen, hey, what God do in your life this week? Hey, how can I help you? Hey, did you know what God's doing now? That that would be the heart of even our church. It would come to church, but I was so excited about what God is doing because it says we come into his uh, courts with thanksgiving, or his presence with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That we come in going, God, I thank you for what you've done this week. I thank you for what you've empowered me to do. I thank you for the gifts and talents and abilities that you've given me. There's always more going right than there is going wrong. And that we have the ability to thank him. We have the ability to praise him. And that we can come with the people around us, which is our body, the body of Christ, the church, and go, look at what's happening. Look at what God is doing through us. Because this is God's church. Will you stand with me?